Retail therapy. <clears throat> Buying things to feel better, to heal. Whether it's uh, luxury bags or, uh, or going to Bunnings. I don't quite know why. Why does driving home from Bunnings with a boot full of things clanking in the back just feel so satisfying? <laughs> but how exactly is retail therapy? Why does buying things make us feel better? Well, psychologists uh, tell us that it it largely comes down to control. Uh, When we purchase something, we feel more in control of our environment. Uh, We we look to control our environment through the things that we buy, uh, which, you know, the things that we buy shape our world, and then the things that we buy in turn, of course, shape us. Uh, Studies have demonstrated that we buy things to, to make up for what we see lacking in ourselves. Uh, one study showed that uh, when people believe that they lacked success relative to their peers, they would try and make up for it by buying, you know, uh, luxury watches and clothing and putting it on and trying to kind of look the part when they knew that they weren't. Uh, but the same studies also reveal that such attempts at therapy, they're kind of a double-edged sword because then you've, you've got this luxury watch that you've got on to try and make yourself look successful, but then every time you look at it, you remember that you're not And so you end up feeling just as bad. Uh, Well, it's just interesting. Many of the forces at work in retail therapy are also at work in the idolatry of Israel, which led uh, to their destruction uh, that we're going into today in our passage. Rather than looking to God for control, they look to idols. They make uh, images of idols for themselves as retail therapy looks to to craft an image of ourselves. Rather than reflecting God's glory, they reflected a kind of curated, created glory, uh, which ultimately led to their own destruction. So let's jump in uh, to the passage. Um, I've just got some simple headings uh, around the event, its explanation, and then the aftermath. Um, But I thought today would be a good chance to uh, take a bit of time and reflect on the idolatry of Israel in a little more detail than we have done in the previous weeks in 2 Kings. Um, we can think about what it means for us today. So firstly, uh, the event, verses 1 to 6. Today's passage begins with Israel's final king, uh, the king who broke the camel's back. Verse 1 says, In twelfth year of Judah's king Ahaz, Hoshea, son of Ella, became king over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. This is a shining commendation. He did evil, but on a whole new level to those that were before him. He had really outdone himself in the evil department. Uh, And so we know that judgment is inevitable. You can see where this is going. Uh, Verse 3 says, Shalmaneser, a king of Assyria, attacked him, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid tribute money to him. So Israel are forced to submit to the Assyrian king. Now Assyria at this point were unbeatable. They they threw their weight around uh, and if you didn't do what they wanted, uh, if you didn't pay them tribute and serve them, uh, they'd come out and attack you or worse. They controlled all the nations around them through fear and uh, this was the map we had up last week. You can see Assyria, the green there, just like they they, at that point controlled the whole area and had uh, everyone under their thumb. Um, the way they controlled people around them was actually uh, largely through fear. Um, they would uh, horrendously torture those people that rebelled against them. 
uh, to prevent uprisings, they, they really did control through fear, and that's how they managed to control this massive empire that they had. And I've decided not to put up images of, of some of the stone carvings of this torture happening, but it's, it's really it's awful. Um, this was the way that they ran their gruesome empire, and they are proud of it, these images that they have celebrating uh, their power over uh, the people that they controlled. And what's really shocking about Assyria uh, is that we are told that they are there as a result of God's wrath against evil. Um, God is using evil itself to punish evil. So Isaiah 10.5 says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. The staff in their hands is my wrath. I will send him against the godless nation. Isn't that incredible? This is God's wrath upon uh, the evil that was uh, Israel at that time, the Assyrian rulers that they are under. But unthinkably, the Israelite king rebels against the Assyrians. Uh, who had been sent by God uh, for their rebellion against him. So if you see what's happening here, Israel rebels against God, and so God sends Assyria, uh, and then Israel rebels against Assyria, and that's when things really turn bad. So verse 5, the Assyrians respond by invading the land. Verse 5 says, Then the king of Assyria invaded the whole land, marched up to Samaria, besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. He deported the Israelites to Assyria and settled them in Halal and Habor, a Gozen River and the cities of Medes. So uh, the Assyrians lay siege, they invade, they destroy, uh, and in the end they, they disperse the Israelite people and they resettle them uh, in different places. So you can see here, I think I have a map of... These are all the different places they get resettled. Uh, if we go to the next slide, um, they were taken, so it's about 1,300 kilometers, taken a long way away, but I mean, back then, that was, it may as well have been a different planet to be that far from home. There was no way of life ever returning back the way it was for the Israelites. God has done, he's done the unthinkable. He's thrown his people to the wolves. How could he do this? Well, that's what our passage is, that the majority of our chapter 17 is God's explanation for how he could do this to his people. So let's, let's move on to the explanation now. Um, God explains his actions. And um, I've got to say, uh, being a parent, you, you, you need to guide your kids, and when they do something wrong, you do need to, to think of what is an appropriate punishment. Uh, and all the parenting books at the moment talk about... Uh, uh, logical consequences. You need to need to try and find a logical consequence for an action, but it, it's not it's not so easy. And so um, yesterday I was there. Uh, the, the two boys were on the swings, Charlie and Archie, and they they both love band aids. It doesn't like the tiniest little cut. They want to have a band aid, and, and I love having the band aid on. And the thing, it, it hangs on for weeks, well days and days, as long as possible. And then they're always very sad when it goes. Anyway, so they're both sitting on the swing and they're looking at their band aids on each other's knees. And Charlie says to Archie, Archie, would you like me to take your band-aid off? <laughs> and Archie's like, no, no, he can hardly talk. No, no, no. And, uh, you know, sure enough, one minute later, Archie's howling and Charlie has his band-aid in his hand. I'm, like, I'm thinking, okay, all right, what am I going to do here? Logical consequences. And I 
I don't know if this was, this is probably very bad parenting. I saw the bandaid on Charlie's knee and so I pulled it off. And Charlie was just mortified. He couldn't believe that I'd done that. He didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming either. And he was like inconsolable for like an hour. Poor old Nikki had to try and comfort him. And look, I don't know if it was good parenting. It was definitely a logical consequence. Uh, it's, it's not easy being a parent. <laughs> well, look, God's, God's punishment towards Israel is a, is a logical consequence, as God explains it. It's, fitting, it's a fitting punishment for their sin, as we will see. Verses 7 to 23 of the chapter are God's explanation, and they're so rich. Uh, we could consider it from many angles, uh, but I'm going to frame it in the language used by the passage uh, of exchanging the image of God, uh, and then in, in turn God pouring out his wrath on them. For, for, for Israel, they were God's people. They were to reflect God's glory, serving him, but, but they exchanged this to, in fact, reflect the image of evil, we are told. The explanation begins in verse 7, uh, 7b, the second half. Israel, it says, had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And so this, this idea of bringing them out of the land of Egypt, it was saying God had, had redeemed them, had bought them, brought them out of the land and bought them for a price. God had formed them to be who they were as a nation and they were to be his. Unlike all the pagan nations, this was God's nation and they were to reflect his image to the world. They were stamped with Yahweh's seal. But we are told that they exchanged God's customs for those of evil. Verse 8 says, um, they had lived according to the customs of the nations that the Lord had disposed uh, before the Israelites and the customs the kings of Israel had introduced. And you see that Israel was meant to come in and, and replace or exchange, be in exchange for these pagan nations. Um, so God gives them his law, but instead they, they get rid of God's law and exchange it for the, the pagan customs. You see, they were doing the very thing that they were meant to replace. Uh, you know, we'll continue to unpack this, but you can see it's the same for Christians today. We're given uh, the privileged image of Christ to live in his light, and we're called to express his glory, his righteousness, and to live according to his customs. That was, that was the, same, the same place that the Israelite nation had. That was their calling. But they exchanged it. Uh, next we see that they exchanged protection. Uh, rather than looking to God for protection and security, they looked to false gods, false hopes, false powers. So verse 9, the second half, 9b, records that the Israelites secretly did what was not right against the Lord their God. They built high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. Uh, and I have here a carving of a, an Assyrian um, wheeled battering ram uh, laying siege to a watchtower. Uh, this would have been like the Israelite watchtowers, uh, which they destroyed. Um, like the watchtowers, verse 9 says, contain shrines to false gods. Here, you know, the, the fortifications of Israel had these uh, shrines, these little temples to false gods. And we begin to see how the entire passage is, is dripping in tragic irony because the watchtowers were, were symbols of kind of military security and protection uh, and the high place, the shrine to a false god, to the god that was supposed to protect them, which is why it was there in, in the tower. 
but of course, by looking to other gods for protection, ironically, they, they were left unprotected by Yahweh, who truly could protect them. Ironically, the symbol of the watchtower, the symbol of vision, uh, which was meant to see uh, and to expose, contained in secret a little shrine to a pretend god. But of course, Yahweh, who has perfect vision, watched them erect the shrine and blinded them to the attack that came to destroy them. One of the key expressions of idolatry in Scripture is uh, looking to things other than God for security. Uh, and the idol is, uh, it's whatever makes us feel secure uh, that's not God. Our, our money, our winning smile, our abilities, uh, or as we said, luxury clothing that we buy to curate our image. We're right to feel insecure, inadequate, and that's why we erect things like watchtowers, but the gospel invites us to fill our insecurities and inadequacies with the image of Christ, with the fullness of the Son of God. God will be our protection. Christ's righteousness will be our adequacy. And we'll continue thinking about these things as we go through. Um, next, next, we're shown how they exchanged provision. Verse 10 of chapter 17 says... They set up for themselves sacred pillars and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree. So what's going on there? The mother, uh, the goddess mother Asherah uh, represented birth, growth, life. Uh, and magnificent trees would be dedicated to her. Her poles and shrines would be erected under these trees because she was said to provide life, a success, harvest. Trees, trees are beautiful. They are sacred, aren't they? they? They reflect the wonder of God's creation. And so to take this glory and dedicate it to a false god was to exchange the glory of God and to confuse where one's provisions came from. Uh, likewise, in our modern world, it's not so subtle uh, in erecting and dedicating its provisions as coming from human ingenuity, the things that we make. Not God. Again, we exchange. We don't give God the glory for the magnificent things that we build. We say to ourselves, just look, look at what we've made. And, uh, well, it was, uh, as an architect, I would say this all the time. And there's many beautiful buildings, but there's something very sad when they are not dedicated to the right provider. And next we are told of Israel how they exchanged service. Verse 12 says, they served idols... Although the Lord had told them, you must not do this. This is so blatant. It's, it says they literally served these idols. Um, I couldn't help but think that here at Snack, uh, our, our um, kind of vision uh, that we have, we say we, we're proclaiming Jesus, we're growing disciples, and we're serving together. These are the three things you discover from Scripture of how we can glorify God, expressing His image as a church. Uh, and a key part of that is serving together, serving God together together explicitly, actively serving God. Whereas here in Second Kings we read that Israel served idols. They exchanged that which they served. Rather than serving God, the temptation is always, right, to serve the self, to serve the creation, not the creator, God. And so they're the four exchanges that we have in our passage, if you're following along in the notes. Um, now we get a kind of summary in verses 13 to 17. We see that they uh, reflected the image of evil, 
as I said a little earlier on, rather than reflecting the image of God. So verse 17, uh, the second half, 17b says, they devoted themselves to do what was evil in the Lord's sight and provoked him. So they're devoted to evil, not God. They devoted themselves to idols. Uh, 16b says, they made cast images for themselves, two calves and an Asherah pole. See, they cast themselves uh, images. They, they crafted images for themselves rather than reflecting the image of God, his nation. Um, see, we were all made in God's image, called to reflect him, and yet we are all tempted to cast images for ourselves, cast images of ourselves, curate ourselves, instead of reflecting God's glory. Our society, sadly, it worships itself, uh, the self that it casts, the self that it creates. Um, and, you know, you only have to look at social media, that's kind of a, or, or any kind of, of these profiles. They're the curated self of people. You know, one presents a, a socialite, you know, there they are smiling with friends, or, you know, a cultured person, there they are dining at a, at a popular restaurant, uh, or an intellectual person quoting the great minds. Humanity looks to cast an image of itself, uh, and in doing this, it, it carves, it, it casts, it creates. Um, I couldn't help but think of the surgeries that people do to themselves to try and make themselves into the image that they want themselves uh, to be. You know, think of cosmetic surgery to shape one's body, changing what God has destined them to be, or, or even worse, surgery changing one's biology, cutting away what God has given them, seeking a, a different image. Uh, and it's very sad. Our passage today continues to say uh, in uh, 15b, it says of Israel, they pursued worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Following the surrounding nations, the Lord had commanded them not to imitate. Isn't that, uh, isn't that both fascinating and terrible? They pursue worthless idols and then they become worthless themselves. Like the idols that we serve, we become. That's what we see throughout Scripture. The thing that we worship is the thing that we become. And it is terrible. It's a terrible outcome of their idolatry. And then verse, verse 16 and 17 paint one final picture of Israel's idolatry. Uh, it's a picture of evil, uh, for they reflected the image of evil, not God. Let, let me read uh, 16 and 17. They say, they abandoned all the commands of the Lord of their God. They made cast images for themselves, two calves and an ashrapole. They worshipped the whole heavenly host and served Baal. They made their sons and daughters pass through the fire and practiced divination and interpreted omens. They devoted themselves to do what was evil in the Lord's sight and provoked him. What a terrible picture of, of who they were the image that they were reflecting. The fire that they cast their idols in is the same fire that they sacrificed their children to. It, it, it is unthinkable, unbelievable evil. How could this happen? How could they get there? These verses plot their fall. Verse 16 says that they abandon the commands of God. First you abandon God and then you are left to make your own gods. 16 says they cast images for themselves. They make their own gods. These idolatrous images demanded a sacrifice. 
And so verse 17 ends saying they devoted themselves to evil. What a terrible spiral. And yet this is what Romans says all humanity does outside of the gospel. Romans 1, uh, 21 says, For though they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal men, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. This is exactly what Israel has done and this is what all humanity does. It begins with denying God, not glorifying him, and then exchanging the, the image, the glory of God, the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man, making idols, creating images, curating idols, carving, casting. Well, how does God respond? He delivers them over to this evil. Uh, Romans one twenty four continues... Therefore God delivered them over to the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. God delivers them over, hands them over to the evil cravings of their hearts. Just as God delivered over the Israelites to the Assyrians, he delivers over all people to their evil cravings. The wrath of the Assyrians was the wrath of God upon the Israelites who, um, who hid and who denied God's truth. Romans 1.18 says, for, the wrath, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's a terrible picture. The wrath of God can be seen in our, our society's addiction to evil, for they have exchanged the image of God for created things. They curate their own images shaping themselves to be what they think is good. But it's evil. It's a very sad picture indeed. Uh, And the the final thing we're told of Israel is that they are are banished from God. Um, 2 Kings 17, 20b says, God handed them over to plunderers until he banished them from his presence. And so the unrighteous will be banished from God. For we, we were all made in God's image. We were made to reflect God's glory and not our own. Well, before I turn uh, to the gospel and salvation in Christ, the image of the invisible God, uh, let me just wrap up our passage very briefly, very, very briefly, uh, and consider the aftermath after what happens after the Assyrians take them away. It's verses 24 to 41. Uh, And in a nutshell, so the Assyrians, they, they cart off the Israelites, and then the land is repopulated. Uh, So verse 24 tells us that while the Assyrians uh, deport the Israelite people, they repopulate them with new people from all around. And there's kind of a map there. So the before one is kind of Israel and Judah before. And then you can see uh, in the after, Judah is still going strong or sort of still going. And we'll we'll get to them in the coming chapters in 2 Kings. But you can see that whole area where Israel was has been repopulated and it's become a whole, like a, a patchwork of different little groups with different rulers and different people. Um, The Israel of old there has gone. It has gone. Uh, Yet it's still Yahweh's land. Verse 25 um, says that there's new residents there. Verse 25 says, uh, When they first lived there, they did not fear Yahweh, and so the Lord sent lions among them 
which killed some of them. And so God has not left. It's still God's land, but the people there, the new people there, do not fear him. Verse 27 uh, of chapter 17 continues, Then the king of Assyria issued a command, Send back one of the priests you deported, have him go and live there, so that he can teach them the requirements of the God of the land. And so they send back one of the deported priests. Uh, to cut a, a long story very, very short, uh, exactly the same thing happens as before. The, the priest who was there comes and says the same thing. It's okay to serve God and still make idols. And so that's what they do. They set up shrines to false gods. They, they pretend they fear God, but they're really not. Uh, they're not obeying God's commands. And so it's exactly the same as when Israel was there. And that's how the story ends. It says that's the way it is until today. Um, the people, they wouldn't obey God. They wouldn't fear him. It's a hopeless case. Something will need to change. And that, that's, the, that's the aftermath. I told you it would be brief. <laughs> well, um, let's finally then um, turn to the glorious gospel answer to all this idolatry. Um, Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Let me pull together some of the themes here, which the gospel, um, it fulfills in Christ. See, the gospel is God's power for salvation. Uh, human rebellion has an answer in Christ. Humanity is to reflect the, the image and the glory of God. So, you know, in, in Genesis, five times we're told that uh, humanity was created in God's image. That's what we are to reflect. We're all to reflect God's image. Uh, you see, God gives life. God gives life, not Asherah. The, the goddess of life, remember, demanded uh, the sacrifice of children. But, and God's nation, who were meant to be his image, they reflected this. That instead of reflecting the God of life, they reflected death, didn't they, in their practices. It was evil. But where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Uh, Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What a profound, profound verse. And we, we said it in our creed earlier in our service. Christ was not a, a representation but God himself. And when he came down, he was the perfect image of God. We don't uh, need to make images for ourselves. We need to look to Christ, the image of God. I love this quote by Richard Lintz. He says, The blueprint for the new cosmic order was to be found in the very one who brought that order into being. This, this picture of a new creation was not to be in, in the nation of Israel and Second Kings, but in Christ who brought creation into being from the beginning. And the gospel offers uh, salvation uh, to be conformed to the image of Christ. So Romans 8.29, well-known verse says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We're to be conformed to the image of the Son. We're to bear that image. We are to be in Christ. Rather than reflecting death, curating images of a world which is dying... The gospel offers us the opportunity to reflect the image of eternal life. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine says, And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man, that is Jesus Christ. We are now through gospel life being recreated by the Spirit's power after uh, God's image and likeness so that we can mirror him. And so for us... We do this imaging, this mirroring Christ 
um, by looking to him. He is our example. We can become conformed to the image of the Son. And so the gospel solution to retail therapy is thus righteousness therapy. I coined that. That's mine. I trademark that. Where instead of clothing yourself with luxury brands, uh, remember, we clothe ourselves with things to make us feel better, you clothe yourself with righteousness. You shape yourself into the image of Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, which is what Colossians goes on to say, Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, remember that was Israel, we are too, we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is a curated image of Christ. This is what it is to live and reflect the image of Christ. Clothe in his virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Colossians draws our attention to a, it's interesting, isn't it, to our need to forgive one another. It's a key thing it draws out. Our world, think of our world, it loves to take offense, loves to, to shape uh, one's image as, as being a victim, as being a victim, a victim of some other person's wrong. Uh, but those conform to the image of Christ, we are called to forgive. Forgive as he forgave us. It's more important to be someone that forgives than be someone that is a victim, that's someone that has been wronged. Uh, nothing fills me with uh, joy like seeing someone who is doing this, reflecting the image of Christ that the gospel makes possible. R- you know, rather than boasting on social media about uh, their security through social status or whatever it is, that they're reflecting the glory of God uh, when they serve him. Their security is in their standing with him and his people. Secure in Christ's love, they're able to then serve and give selflessly of themselves. They curate a rich life of prayer with God. Isn't it amazing to see that? Turning to him daily, they shine out God's light and people see it and notice. See, Israel, Israel were banished for making idols and for being made into the likeness of these idols, being their image. But those in Christ are brought near to be made into the image of Christ. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, by your power, please protect us from idolatry. Father, please um, shape us into the image of Christ to which you have called us and show us all the worldly things we we put our security and hope in and show us how to look to you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.